Hi, this is Nick Dawson, the editor-in-chief of TalkHouse Film, and you're listening to the TalkHouse Film Podcast. At some point or other, Terence Nance and Michelle Gondry were always going to meet. The only things in question were the where, when, and how of it all. As it turned out, it was in New York City, on the opening day of Gondry's lovely new movie, the coming-of-age film Microbe and Gasoline, and they were brought together for an episode of the TalkHouse Film Podcast. Nance is the writer-director of An Oversimplification of Her Beauty, a hybrid documentary about unrequited love that incorporates animation into its cinematic tapestry. He's also a musician. He's currently finishing a soundtrack album to accompany the film, and one of TalkHouse Film's most beloved contributors. And as you'll hear in the following conversation, he's a fan of Gondry's, able to discuss his work with familiar ease, but also a kindred spirit, another hopeless romantic whose work, idiosyncratic and personal, is bubbling over with creative invention. Gondry's filmography is substantial and diverse, and in this particular conversation, it happened to be that two of his documentaries, Dave Chappelle's Block Party and Gondry's film-length discussion with Noam Chomsky, Is the Man Who Is Tall Happy, got discussed more than, say, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or Be Kind Rewind. And when Gondry and Nance got onto the subject of microbe and gasoline, it was the personal, autobiographical aspects of that film that came to the fore in a surprising, profound, and remarkable way. To whet your appetite a little more, I'll let you know that you'll also hear the secret to Dave Chappelle's comic genius and to Noam Chomsky's romantic appeal about Gondry playing the drums with Paul McCartney and Kanye West, Gondry's fear of jokes and his love of the word both, and bookending the conversation is music. It is my hope that the talk has will in future be featuring some of the fruits of a Gondry-Nance jam session, but that deal has yet to be fully hammered out. In the meantime, let's start things as Terence tests out the mic levels by singing a few bars of Designer. Timmy, Timmy, Timmy Turner, I've been wishing for a burner, hear everybody walking, you got it? So you're a singer too? I make music, yeah, too. Oh, cool. Yeah. I call it a show tune funk. Show tune funk? Show tune funk. Show tune funk. Like, uh, like, um... Who's the guy who does uh, all the show tunes? Um, summertime and the Living is Easy. Oh, it's Summertime? Uh, yeah, who did that? It's Gershwin, actually. I, I checked it out lately. Like this that. is a song that must have the most cover in the world. 100%. To a point, sometimes it just I get tired of it. No, I mean, you just can't beat the original. That's really, I think, the problem. If the covers were better or like you know progressing the original yeah, and yeah. you'd be like all right yeah. let's keep it keep it going you have that with uh Aretha franklin and uh, respect yeah. uh, that yeah. was taken from otis reading but Aretha franklin but was it, much better you're right otis reading i don't know but i love otis reading is yeah. my favorite <laughs> i feel like otis reading i mean it's politically better with because it means something different from a feminism perspective from a yeah woman, you know but like it just means less if a guy is like, well, I think at that time if a black man is saying it, it means a lot. But like, we don't think of that now. Cause yeah, it, and know, for a, a woman to say that, uh, that I understand. It still is, you know, yeah. super relevant. But if you think about it, like Otis Redding was like 21 when he did that. Yeah, he was yeah. like 25 when he died. I worked with uh, Booker T and DMGs, who was the band. Uh, when did you do that? Uh, when I did Be Can Rewind, uh, oh. I wanted to have uh, Booker T, the player. Mm-hmm. And um, 
for a scene unfortunately was cut in the official version and uh, I had Steve Cropper as well mm-hmm. so we recorded because I play a bit of drums mm-hmm. so we recorded uh, a cover of Fat Swaller mm-hmm. uh, at the same time uh, to be part of the soundtrack mm-hmm. so I played with those guys who are my uh, total heroes that's crazy that'd be like if I can get Stevie Wonder in a room <laughs> and we could like remake Jesus Children of America oh, yeah. I want to do that you know, I, I knew uh, the guy who was, it was like the fi- the fourth uh, member of Beastie Boys. Uh, and he would do uh, stuff in the back. Mm-hmm. And he would record them most Mixed of the time. Mixmaster Mike? Was that it? Yeah, I think so. What's yeah. his name? I think it's Mixmaster Mike. <laughs> but somehow he, 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 w- he has his studio mm-hmm. in the backyard of my girlfriend at the time. Uh, oh, okay. And uh, what... What was going on is like between uh, sound uh, engineer, mm-hmm. they are assistant mm-hmm. uh, of uh, engineer. Mm-hmm. They uh, they c- had access to the multi-track tape mm-hmm. of the of of the big band of the big uh, of the band they were uh, recording in this studio. So mm-hmm. he had uh, the dr- he had the drums mm-hmm. of uh, keep keep on going. Uh, what what's the name? Keep, is it who's the officer Stevie Wonder? Uh, keep on running. Yeah, keep so he had the drum of that track by what? track. Uh, so it's a scene they do they exchange. Uh, that's this, crazy. Uh, I mean they put the engraver uh, DVD. Oh, that's Money Mark. Money Mark. Okay. Wait wait. So he has the masters from Music in My Mind in his apartment. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, in the studio. And that's something they did. Uh, and in they, New York? He would share it to a guy on an exchange. Uh, the guy would give him, uh, I think he had some uh, track from Queen. What? <laughs> I, I need to meet this person. It was He's something like, that was I'll going on uh, stuff, in the yeah. assistant. Uh, wow. Have you seen the most recent tour? He went on tour recently. I know, no. Man, you got to go see it, man. It's, yeah? He did... Um, he did all of songs of the key of life, okay, in in sequence, and he sounds better than the record. Oh wow! Which I can't, I can't even, I couldn't have conceptualized before I saw it. Like I couldn't have fathomed that he could reproduce something better than he captured in the moment he made the song. I mean, maybe maybe it was just a show I saw, or maybe it was maybe maybe I even invented that. Maybe I imagined that it was better. <laughs> it was actually, you know, but it was so amazing. And I think that you have to you have to check Once it out. Once I went to see a concert that was shot, my DP she was shooting the concert and it was Lurid uh, replaying the Berlin album. Oh wow! Is that the one where he's talking about like I'm gonna go to Bed Stuy and score some drugs? I don't know. I don't translate the music <laughs> into words. <laughs> I, I just hear the melody, but I don't. Uh, I'm used to not. Pay attention to the lyrics. Really, but I was not as good as the uh, album. Essentially, you don't listen to Louis. I I thought he was mostly known for his like poetry or like the poetry of what he was saying. Yeah, and, like how he puts the words together. You do you listen to all music like that? Not really. I mean, <laughs> this is my memory how it works too. I forget the words very yeah. easily. Ah, that's funny. Like when you listen to rap, is it like that? Like if you listen to like, 
No, I understand because if you don't pay attention to the lyrics in the rap, there is not much left. <laughs> I did this documentary with Dave Chappelle, and it was very hard to communicate with him because he couldn't yeah. understand my accent, and I couldn't understand his <laughs> the way he speaks. Really? Yeah, I mean, we find figure uh, figure out a way to communicate. I rewatched that. I was almost there for that movie. I was living in Boston. I was in college, or I just got to college. And somebody was like, there's a concert with all my favorite musicians at the time. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, I got to go. And I could, you know, I couldn't round up the $10. <laughs> to no. get it. Yeah, it was like, I think at that time, the Chinatown bus, Feng Hua bus, was like $15 or something like that. And oh. I, just, I just didn't have it. <laughs> Sorry, you should have called me. <laughs> I didn't have your Didn't number have at the a, time. A, a limo. <laughs> I know. It's it like it's actually the bane of my existence. I can't. I still can't believe that I I wasn't there. You said it was hard to understand, Dave. Is it? Do his jokes land for you? Like, are you? Because I I know in the black community, Dave Chappelle is why like he's like the funniest dude a lot. I think arguably he's the funniest dude kind of out there. Yeah. But like for you, do you like think of him as that? Not that you know you have to make a list of your best, but well, yeah, sometimes. But even if you say a joke in French, most likely I won't understand it. <laughs> I get really anxious because I'm I know I'm gonna miss the punchline, and uh, those that's a how... line in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it's funny. But uh, I, no, uh, while he what, told what, me what's, so, what, what, what's the problem with missing the punchline? What, what does that mean? Well, you feel stupid. Everybody's <laughs> laughing and you don't know. You don't know why they're laughing. So you're torn. Are you going to show that you didn't understand in not laughing? Or you have to laugh and pretend you understood? But then if anyone asks you what's funny, then you don't know. <laughs> so that happens in your mother tongue as well. That you yeah, yeah, completely. That's because funny. the fact that I'm anxious to understand it, 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 it occupates my mind. Mm -hmm. So then I don't have room left to understand the joke because I'm obsessed with what's funny. But like uh, <laughs> De, De Chappelle, he told me something really uh, important of his method of getting laugh. Mm -hmm. uh, he said, you just speak to the audience and uh, you get them hook and you talk very seriously mm -hmm. until they really want to uh, uh, to understand and, and they you catch the interest mm -hmm. and when you get got them like that you just say something completely stupid and that's true that's his whole method yeah everything is like about it's like un he undermines an otherwise completely serious thing with a moment of just explosive yeah. Like a, impersonating a baby selling crack or something like that, you know. Yeah, that's true. That's his genius. Are you? Are you like a? Is this movie? You've done two movies in France now. Are you like, no more American stuff? Ever? Oh no, no, no. no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I need to shoot. do a movie in America. Do you? Where do you live? Not. To, I mean. Ah, uh, in between France <laughs> and New York, and sometimes Los Angeles. Okay. Yeah. You you said you need to do an American movie now. Yeah, I think so. Why 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 um, why are the stakes high? Well, it's uh, well it's, it's smaller in France. I mean, it sounds a little bit trivial to 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 talk about it like that, but 
have the luck to be able to do both sides of the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. So I think it's good if I come back here mm. for my next project, which I don't know what it will be. Oh, I, I went. I shot a movie in France last year in Marseille, and it was like being on vacation and making a movie, kind of yeah. a little bit like. So I imagine that it, there's probably no element. Maybe there's you're more used to America. I had never made a movie in France before, but it was like everyone treated me better. Maybe oh yeah, <laughs> you know I don't know. Like I got that. Like I was the guest. You know yeah. <laughs> so it felt like somewhere between vacation and work. <laughs> so you shot a movie there. Yeah, it was just, it was a short film. Um, I'll send it to you, but it's like it's called Univitelang. It's about two people who are the same person, and they fall in love, and then they get into existential crisis because they're the same person. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, and then they die. But the um, do you get that feeling when you're here, like mm. the the you're the guest who uh, the honored guest? Well, yes, I understand what what you mean, uh, and. Uh, but I mean, I, I did. I started to do movies after I did tons of videos, oh, yeah, true. and most of them were either in England or uh, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, I was more at home here than in France, mm. and it took me uh, two or three movies before I uh, I went back to France and had the courage to do a movie, because I don't think I was really welcome there. As I have a mm. They have, in, I mean, the critics and in general, they have they are very uh, suspicious and critical uh, with somebody who's coming from the video world. Mm. They are more forgiving for somebody who's just come out from a film school, which <laughs> I don't really understand why. Uh, mm. But so I felt more uh, at home here. Mm. That's interesting. And my English uh, sounds... Bad, but I think I have enough vocabulary to... Uh, Your English is fantastic. What are you talking about? <laughs> I remember the first video <laughs> was for Terence and Derby. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I've never seen that, and I have to see it. Right? <laughs> so I need to pull that and up. And I remember I had to... P- we created the front of a movie theater, and... Uh, uh, the, we had to pick a color to paint the column on, on the or the wall or whatever, mm-hmm. and uh, the art director came to me and asked, "Oh, you want the wall to be uh, red or blue?" And I said, "Yes." <laughs> <laughs> but what then color I, did they paint it? <laughs> Purple? Or well, something? I think they came back to me and say, "Well, you have to pick a color." <laughs> but then I learned my favorite word uh, in in English that doesn't in- exist in French. It's uh, both. It doesn't. It, le même? Le no, deux? it's uh, two of them. The two of them uh, you say right. in French. You're right. It is. But so it's funny. It's really uh, it's really uh, handy because uh, if you don't want to make up your mind, you just say both. True. <laughs> Do you want big horse and small horse? I say both. <laughs> That's true. That's, yeah. Well, I mean, the We're English, so English language word. is good f- to work. Maybe not as good to express express feelings, but to work on it's more direct. I mean, it's nuances. It's not 
a huge difference. I found, I mean, I don't, my French is really, really hit or miss. But I found like having to direct a movie with a French crew and talk to them in French made me really, really clear and like direct. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe it was the same, like that when you have to force yourself to unlimited vocabulary or something. Yeah, and I think one of the positive side in working in a foreign country with a foreign crew is you can't micromanage. <laughs> you have to let people do their work and you can really focus on what's important, which is directing the actors. Do you have a tendency to micromanage in France when you're in France? Yeah, or even here. And I know it's not good. And I know it doesn't make the film look good because <laughs> you pay too much, uh, too much attention to the detail. Yeah? But yeah, I think I'm really uh, convinced about that. Because well, you, you're going to spend uh, the same amount of energy to shoot uh, uh, a cup of coffee in close-up than uh, uh, a close-up of a face, uh, which is mm -hmm. ridiculous. Uh. <laughs> and when I went to, sh I did a, a short film in uh, Japan, in Tokyo, mm -hmm. and really nobody really spoke English. I had a translator, which is a nightmare to, to go through <laughs> it. So I decided I would let everybody do their job, how they do it normally. That movie's great. That's the one where she turns into a chair. Yeah. That movie's great. So you did it. You proved your theory. <laughs> <laughs> For instance, the DP he stopped a shot because he felt the lens was wrong. And if it has been, it had, had been in front, I would have yelled at him like crazy. Because <laughs> I think, oh, who are you to stop the shot? And it's my decision. <laughs> and uh, I'll just, th I was upset, but then I thought to myself, uh, well, maybe that's the way they work here. So mm -hmm. I will respect it and uh, I'm not going to get upset. And the fact is, he was uh, one of the best DP I ever worked with. That is one of your best looking movies. I would yeah, say. it looks You should great. get that guy again. Yeah, or, it's true. Or, and he doesn't speak a, a word of English. That's for your American movie. You got to bring him in. Yeah. He's great. It's like uh, in there is a Woody Allen movie where the DP is blind. Which one? Uh, it's a great, uh, he's a Chinese guy and he's, uh, he, he doesn't see. So he has somebody who tell him the frame and, and he's a DP. That's beautiful. That's yeah, like some great Be idea. Beethoven I mean, and yeah, exactly. That's great. I wanted to go there on my own oh. and emerge myself and work with only Japanese people, because okay. I really don't like people uh, who go to a foreign country and they take their key mm -hmm. crew. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's missing the point. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm doing a movie in Japanese with Japanese actor. And, uh, in a Japanese location, I think it would be stupid to bring a French DP, a mm -hmm. French gaffer, and so on. Mm -hmm. And as well, he on, it, undermi it undermines the people working there. Gotcha. Because then you take uh, people uh, from the country just for the lower post, lower mm -hmm. position. Yeah. And uh, they get frustrated. It's like feudalism or something. Or like some exploitative system. <laughs> yeah, it's like colon it's like colonizing yeah, it's literally. Exactly <laughs> it's, it's like a, it's exactly like a colony where bringing uh, the missionaries to yeah. teach the yeah exactly local people. Yeah, uh, and, and then if you think of it, Japan is a, is a big bigger uh, movie country than France. 
It is. And we shot wow. actually in the Kurosawa studio. What? Was you cool. got you got all the dreams that came true. Every single one of them. Yeah, but I turned it <laughs> I turned them into nightmares. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, true. No, that's really. But it's true. <laughs> I uh, Yeah, I played the drum with Paul McCartney. Jesus. Uh with uh Kanye West. Was that a dream you had? Did you <laughs> play, what, Well, did you yeah, play I really I think I mean, Kanye West is amazing. I mean, for everything. No, I do too. I was just asking. I was just thinking like timeline-wise at what point you dream, you dreamed it to when it came true. Well, playing with Paul McCartney was pretty high ranked. <laughs> it's like uh, interviewing Noam Chomsky is pretty. Yeah, that's really high. Pretty high. Yeah. he must. But I mean, if you had anxiety about getting punchlines and jokes, did you have a lot of anxiety of just sort of understanding the, I guess you know when it, the thesis of what he's saying in yeah, every of moment. I mean, you can see that in a movie. Sometimes yeah, sure. I try say to, it. Yeah. to come across <laughs> with an idea and he just dismisses me. He's yeah. very nice, but sometimes he's just going to uh, kill you if, if he doesn't agree with what you say. One of the strongest parts of that movie is when he's talking about his wife and like losing her and what that, fe- like visualizing that, what that felt like. Did you ever talk to him about, I can't, maybe it is in the movie, I'm just forgetting it, but you talking about like your love life or anything like that. Did he, did he like, I imagine there's stuff on the cutting room floor that grew into some sort of more personal conversation. Well, he always says that he doesn't like to talk about his personal life uh, mm-hmm. because it's not more interesting than anybody else's life. And I think it's mostly because he's shy and guarded. Um, but he kept referring to his wife mm. all uh, the way through the interview. It reminded me a bit. Uh, you remember the TV show Colombo? No. It's this detective played by Peter Falk. Mm-hmm. It was huge in France. And uh, so he was a very odd character. And he was always talking about his wife. You never s- get to see his wife. <laughs> and uh, Chomsky sort of reminded me uh, of him. Because mm. in every chapter or a subject he would approach he he would mention her hmm. so at some point uh, we were talking uh, about something and then i ask well he was talking about his feeling about death and he doesn't really care about it <laughs> uh certainly not afraid and then i s- i continue by asking him uh, what about when your wife passed away and then that touched him he was uh, in a verge of breaking uh, in tears so it's very sentimental yeah. so he didn't want to talk about it but then uh, he talked about her uh, mm-hmm. and again and again but since he remarried i don't know if you know about that no he find a wife uh, a girl in brazil that's uh, the be- one of the probably a good place to look yeah <laughs> and she's 50 and she's very beautiful <laughs> and she's a documentary uh, uh filmmaker you know you made that happen though it's probably she probably uh, watched the movie uh, it was no. like oh he's single and no my conclusion is like if you uh, <laughs> are the smartest person in the world you can get a pretty woman when you're 86 <laughs> so i need to study okay but he says something that was beautiful uh, when he was interviewed on uh, um, democracy now he said that for all the well he said first uh, he got the luck to meet uh, i forgot her name and he said and she fell into my arms which 
hearing that from Shomsky that that's that like as flowery <laughs> as yes <laughs> and then he say for all the horrible things happening in the world life is not worth living without love whoa yes huh? so you don't expect him to talk about that huh? no now he's much more sentimental than people expect you softened him or you created a pathway for his oh, I don't know I don't think I had anything take to do with that <laughs> take some credit okay fine that's, that's me no that's funny so th this movie is um, I mean it felt like you you repeated a line from the main character just now kind of colloquially unintentionally so yeah. I'm assuming that the main character is you was sort of a autobiographical situation. Yeah, I mean uh, the microbe is me when I was 14. And it is, I have two brothers as well, and I, what I liked about it, I was the runt, and it's you know I was the littlest one. Yeah. But um, I liked that uh, it's. You know, it showed a kind of more realistic than I've ever seen in a movie bullying dynamic. I don't know if you could even call it that, where the kid who's being picked on isn't actually powerless. Like he, he's has he's socialized. He's got yeah. brothers, and like it's not like this. Hey, Poindexter, give him a wedgie, throw him in the toilet type of thing. Yeah, but he has like social power. People like him generally the the nickname is not that bad of a nickname yeah you know i i really i've and i feel like when i watched the trailer i thought it was gonna be very like yeah just, <laughs> just. so i was like really presently surprised that it was like so i guess true to life you know at least from what i remember from being 14. <laughs> yeah well know. that's my experience i mean yeah, I had a place in the in the class. I was not completely a, a loser. What was happening was that I had much more common interest with girls and boys. Mm. I found the boys to be a little immature and uh, showing off, and mm. and I found the girl to be much more fun and. Uh, mm -hmm nice to hang out with them the problem is one of these girls i was in love with and uh, i realized with the years that uh, because it it lasted few years uh, that uh, this position of being friend was in a way of being a uh, boyfriend mm. and that was a bit devastating to to realize that i read in some interview you talk about I don't remember what it was about or what movie it was about, but it was like some, you, you said it was like really depressing. The idea of time travel is really depressing because going back in time in the past would mean you'd have no hope for the future or something like that. But then you said that if you went back in time, you would fix, you would go after the girl or some abstraction Oh yeah, girl. yeah, it was, was my it, experience. Was, <laughs> was this that, that girl? Yes, f of course, yes. I don't know if we couldn't make it better, but uh, <laughs> what happened as well is like up to 45 or 50, I was thinking, uh, and I would see uh, 
friends hanging around or people that were in their 20s. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, well, they have much life, much more life ahead of them than me. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, but on the other hand, uh, there is little chance that some of them, I mean, it's sort of arrogant to think this way, but that's what I was thinking. There is sort of little chances that uh, they would accomplish uh, things like I did. I'm not saying that I had the most uh, outstanding accomplishment, but in comparison to most of the kids of, mm-hmm. of, of uh, this age or this group of people, uh, it was, it would be even, it would even the fact that I was much older than them, mm-hmm. uh, which was uh, sucking basically. <laughs> but then when I went over uh, 50, I, uh, this shifted. <laughs> I still, I would rather be their age and not do anything. <laughs> I still have more life ahead of me. But it's true as well, uh, coming, if I could come back uh, to this age, I uh, would find a way maybe to, uh, to end up with this girl. But don't you think it's like all in your mind? Like, however old you actually are, which I don't even know, like, you can just be 20 if you want. Like you can, not to, not in maybe, a, I mean, maybe don't do that, but like, like a, you know, like you can conceive well, you are of 20, your future. You have the same person. Only yeah, thing exactly, is well, yeah. once you are dead, you can't get, but you can't be 20 anymore. Yeah, you're exactly. You know, it's uh Well, I mean, like what, okay, I guess when I was watching the movie, I was watching it and I was thinking of his dilemma with this, with Laura, 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 Laura. And I was thinking, you know, I thought about um, the main character in Eternal Sunshine and, I, and the couple at the end of We and I and like all the sort of stilted romance. And I was like, what is your love life like? Like, that was my main thing. What <laughs> like, is my love what life is your, like? Yeah. Like, Why? It's a disaster. <laughs> is it a disaster or is it like a ride? Is it like a roller coaster? You know what I mean? Like, is yeah. it like an earthquake or a roller coaster? Earthquake. So, so you have no control. You didn't even get on. It just happens. You mean in general or for the, in this relationship? I guess right now. Like while you were making this movie, what was it like? I can't even talk about <laughs> it. <laughs> it leaves you speechless. Okay. <laughs> all, right, all right. I say my girlfriend was pregnant and she dumped me. See how bad it can be? <laughs> That is the. I say it here because she would never uh, hear it. I, I hope she won't. Wait, wait. She Sorry. was pregnant with you all's child. Sorry, with with, with my you, child, yes. Your child, and she yeah. dumped and we're you. And we still trying to make it work, but this is a roller coaster. So what? <laughs> so yeah, okay. All sperm, my questions are answered. <laughs> wow. So is that? But is that? Is that typical of like your whole? Is that well, this, this is one that's really sort of fun to talk about mm-hmm. and you can describe the, the gravity of the situation in one sentence <laughs> so that's why I, I, I talk about it like that now each film I've done reminds me of uh, a breakup or uh, which generally is me being dumped uh, <laughs> So it's painful to watch them because they're all attached to this relationship that end up. Uh, maybe I should 
draw a conclusion and try to change something. Well, there's, I mean, for, to me, the movie is like, So, so the I guess I'm very much the type of person that looks back. Like at the end of the movie when he doesn't look, I mean, nobody, watch the movie before listening to this. But in the movie when he doesn't look back, yeah. like I feel like I live the life where I looked back and we end up together, most, uh-huh. mostly. And when he doesn't look back, like I, like the the universe of me relating to it kind of didn't completely stop, stop because I am, I'm very much him. Uh-huh. The whole movie, like that's, I was, you know, had the same sort of, I was in the same social role. Uh-huh. And then when he doesn't look back, like the hopelessness of that was like, what? <laughs> like what? So then, you know, I couldn't on some level deal with that. So you, you know? were upset? I, I felt, I felt, um, I felt bad for you. For me, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I knew it was like from a real thing, like yeah. a real, you know. Because I mean, knowing also knowing that she felt that way about you, you know, the avatar of you, you know, it means that you know that she felt that way about you. That it's not like a mystery. Oh well, you know what I mean. In real life, what happened is, uh, I went to another school. She went to another school, and. Uh, 20 years later, when I saw her again, she told me that at this point she was in love with me. But I didn't know. So maybe that's even worse. <laughs> that's even worse, yes. <laughs> and then I talked to her and, and she had changed. I could not go and kiss her or whatever. It's, I was not attracted to her. So that's happened to me, though. That's definitely happened. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I guess I never really knew. I never... I guess I never had the... 20 years later conversation but yeah it made me feel bad but but then there's like but then in 2020 hindsight you realize there's like all the joy that is in the process of wanting like i don't know there's a lot of like uh, i understand what you say the the joy but uh i think that you can conclude to the fact it was joy if you end up together (laughs) if you never end up together it's uh it's painful yeah. But on the other hand, if you were not sort of artistic or you yeah. have this uh, sensibility, uh, you would not be uh, an artist. Or True. So unfortunately, I mean, the, the sorrow of failure, sentimental failure, fills uh, your creativity or your creativity mm. Uh, feels the fact that you are sentimentally a failure. True. Well, when you look back, like on, you know, I, first time I told a girl I loved her, I was 14 or 15. And um, I, I, I thought I meant it. And when she broke up with me, I was like, I think I'm going to die. I think I'm dead, you know. But now I question the, um, I guess the authenticity of authenticity of that feeling. I don't question the reality of it, and that it was like real for me then. Yeah. But do you feel like, you know, in remembering the nostalgia of that, that it was like what you would call love now? Well, if you try to look at it 
in an objective way you could think that's uh, not a real love it's more a uh, needy love or mm-hmm. uh, it's maybe something to fill up a lack of something you have mm-hmm. but then uh, it seems to uh, intellectualize and bring some psychology yeah, yeah. into the thing uh but i remember clearly when she it's what it's weird is she, i rem- have two memories of her dumping me well we never went together <laughs> when i was together i was just like and actually she dated my bros my big brother after so that <laughs> that's, that's the worst your big brother is a terrible like what is going on with him i know you know what <laughs> maybe it's the nicest guy now but i still dream of him being mean to me Like for instance with my <laughs> best friend uh, the, we were doing magic trick in front of our parents mm-hmm. in an evening and uh, so you you have some rings and you do stuff uh, they are broken or you can put them like that mm-hmm. and uh, underneath it was my little brother giving us the mm-hmm. thing and my uh, big brother he would come and pull up uh, the the sheet <laughs> so it will uh, uh, unveil the whole uh, thing <laughs> and that was the type of thing he was doing oh, i was playing basketball uh, we were playing basketball in the same team and if i was looking away he would throw me the basketball in my head Uh, so there is many examples where He's I really, really jealous of you. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it was frustrating. But thinking back to events with this uh, girl, there are patterns that I still mm-hmm. carry. I would do a drawing of cat, I remember. I mean, mm-hmm. I make fun of it in the movie, mm-hmm. but I did actually drawing of a three little cat and they were super uh, detailed. Mm-hmm. And I... I remember she had it in her room and I remember being with friend in her room and looking at her lips and thinking I would never kiss his lips. Damn. Uh, so <laughs> 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 and I could not possibly imagine that I uh, being in love with another girl even for the rest of my life. Are you monogamous? Like by nature? Uh yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Now I mean like do you feel like I know I'm not monogamous. Uh-huh. So like I know that I don't process the world from a monogamous framework even if I am just with one person yeah. at at any given moment. So do you do you feel like I mean at that moment you clearly felt monogamous, but do you feel like your life is played out in a way that Well, I think that? How it works for me is like if I'm in love with a woman mm-hmm. or girl uh there is this pattern in when I uh, hope for the relationship to happen I'm totally monogamous because a- any other girl uh don't uh it's not up to the same level mm-hmm. in in my uh view Uh, then the relationship, if it happens, same. And then there is moment where uh, the relationship is not based on uh, unbalanced love or desire. It balances out and you're just having good time. Mm-hmm. Then I can start to look around and fancy other girl. Not that I'm gonna do a, a move, <laughs> but I think. But I think uh, my issue is. Uh, I think love is this moment of frustration of not getting the girl uh, mm. I want. And then when the relationship works, it happens sometimes. 
uh, <laughs> that should be the real love, but mm-hmm. I don't see it this way. So love is the conflict. Love is the un- it's a need is unrequited uh, inherently. It's yeah, like, man, that's terrible. I know. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Thanks for saying that. Do you go to couples therapy? No, I think I will actually. <laughs> <laughs> I just started it like not too long ago. It was, it's it's interesting. I mean, it has its. Maybe I shouldn't say this publicly. <laughs> no, actually, I went to three already or two. I was horrible because I was crucified by my girlfriend each time. What do you mean by crucified? Like she. Well, because she talks about things she would never have said to me. And then let's say she doesn't <laughs> love me anymore, but she would not say, I don't love you anymore. And then she's going to say to the therapist, and it's just like devastating. So she uses the form of therapy as a kind of like buffer to like throw out things that she feels like would be too dangerous to throw out. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the goal of the therapy. Like everybody says what he feels, yeah. regardless of how, how it may hurt a partner. Yeah, true. I think for me, the experience has more been about like translation. Like she says something to the therapist. The therapist knows that I, my worldview is different. So she'll translate what my wife has said to me. You're married? Huh? Yeah. Cool. So <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, yeah, she's like a, she's a translator between Terrence's language and my wife's language, uh, yeah. theoretically. That's a good, uh, that's a good view of it. Was I think, I guess, in my situation, I went there at a point where my girlfriend wanted to leave me. Oh, yeah. So it's she's not coming to fix things. She's no. coming to uh, just uh, <laughs> to make the relationship, relationship explode. <laughs> That's painful. I really hope not. I really hope. Well, it's, you're still working on it, though, right? Or this is a whole other one. This is a it's different bit. one. Oh, okay. But we decided we'd go to couple therapy. One more question. Ta-da. What is the question going to be? Um, I have silly questions. Go ahead. Are you still making any music? And can we make some music together in the sure. future? I play, I, gu- play I, write guitar, I write on guitar and play guitar and sing. You yeah. play drums? I play drums on a bit of keyboard. What I do, I cheat. Uh, so I play the drum for five minutes, and we take the four bars that are really the nicest one, and we loop them. That's not cheating. Every, everybody does yeah. that. <laughs> that's, that's and the then standard. I play the bass. Uh, my... Uh, Hero bass player is uh, Bernard Edwards from oh. Chic. Okay. So I play the bass on same thing. I do. I just play one, one chord, one chord, one chord, one chord, <laughs> and then it sounds really funky. And Let's I do put it. Some chord. I like. My, I'm. I'm a ja- James Jamerson. Is my guy, bass wise. He played like all the uh, Funk Brothers stuff. Okay. Yeah, get into it. You'll love it. But yeah, let's do let's do some let's just jam. You know what I mean? Like you live in New York sometimes. Yeah, so, Brooklyn. <laughs> so we'll do. Yeah, I'm in Brooklyn too, so we'll do it. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Well, cool. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was great. It, yeah.
This is Nick Dawson from TalkHouse Film, and you've been listening to Terence Nance and Michelle Gondry on the TalkHouse Film Podcast. This episode was engineered and edited by TalkHouse podcast producer Elia Einhorn. For more filmmakers talking film and TV, visit thetalkhouse.com slash film. Subscribe to TalkHouse Film and TalkHouse Music Podcast on iTunes, where you can find all our previous episodes. And while you're there, please rate and review if you can. <laughs> oh shit, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs>